Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, you're opening. I'm not opening. You're opening. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is probably the opening right now. Yeah, this is absolutely, <laughs> I'm making this the opening right now. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks. Okay, come on. Tell what? The, tell the listeners. Well, I'm back from vacation. And what happened on vacation? We drove in a snowstorm. It was colder than here. I uh, went to the Grand Canyon. And that was about it. That's it, eh? Yeah, that was it. For those of you who are wondering if Brad and I knew that Evan was going to propose on this trip, zero, no, not a chance in hell. Zero percent. Didn't know he had the ring. Didn't know he was going to do it. I had a feeling, actually. Same. I wondered. I, I had I had that gut feeling it was coming. But you know if you ask him, there's zero chance he would tell you. Oh, yeah. I didn't tell anyone. That, oh, that's impressive. No witnesses, baby. <laughs> <laughs> are you looking to hide a body? Yeah. How long did you have the ring? Uh couple weeks oh i would have had a heart attack oh uh, just, no that's the way you do it i picked mine up like a week before we left yeah I, no yeah so, no i'm not a couple weeks i no pur- I, I purchased it a couple weeks ago i had it on tuesday or wednesday before we left that's better no i'm yeah, saying you hang on to it as yeah. little as possible oh yeah. yeah because i had to like i found an old pair of snowboard boots in a box and i put it in that box under the boots smart yeah i had to hide it very specifically all right folks Full roster again. Evan is back. We are now three for three on being at least engaged. Uh, so the podcast is growing up slowly but surely. Wow, it's been an eventful eight years. I see uh, Red Wings hockey's been is alive and well. Yeah, it's it's doing its December tradition. Why is it this time every year? It's the same time things went off the rails last year. And if you adjust for the 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 start in the season, it's not been the same story, but the the goal like the the markers have been the exact same for the Red Wings. They are in the it was a, it was around this many games in or this point in December last year where we were like, oh, this is this is getting bad. This is getting rough. We should have done a an advent calendar for the Red Wings, but like <laughs> just topics we could have done. Like on day one, this is what we want to do or something. On day one, the power play goes to shit. <laughs> on day two, the five on five metrics collapse. On day three, break-ins fail once again. And you can use it year over year. That's a great thing. Yeah. Carbon copy from last season. Yeah. People haven't figured out yet. We've had this exact conversation is just a pre-record going back at least three years. (laughs) All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of prospects, uh, and everything going on in the NHL. (laughs) I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about not all bad news. We're going to start with some good news. Jacob Verana, he's back. To the surprise of many, uh, there is obviously no news leading up to it. Jacob Verana has been reinstated by the NHL and NHLPA Player Assistance Program and is eligible to return for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, We're going to be recapping the game that Detroit played against Ottawa, which uh, isn't so positive, but we will do so anyways. And then because we don't want to have you know, 90 minutes of doom and gloom this episode, and especially considering last episode, how harrowing it was for some. We brought Tony Ferrari on, and we're going to be talking about prospects. What to look forward in the uh, two in the World Juniors, uh, what the Red Wings have to say about their prospect system and who they have in the World Juniors, who they have coming up through the ranks. And uh, the 2023 draft class is a very, very notable one. We haven't talked a lot about them because the Red Wings have been keeping us from doing so, but 
now is probably a good time. <laughs> it is time <laughs> to take a look. It's not an official prospect profile yet. We're not caving that much. And then there's so much happening in the world of the NHL. We'll see what we can get to. Alex Ovechkin's uh, uh, gold chase. Vancouver wants to not rebuild but change all their players, apparently. Um, and then propose adjust- adjustments to the schedule, the playoff structure, whatever it might be. Uh, before all that, I want to let you know, Saturday, April 8th, 2023, is Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Uh, and it is in, in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So what that is, it's an event partnered between the Winged Wheel Podcast and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, we host a live recording of the podcast before the game. Uh, last one was at Hockey Town Cafe. We've also done it right from the arena. Uh, that podcast, that live show has featured special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. And we'll have um, special guests for the future ones as well. Ken for sure will be there. Uh, we have some other little surprises and bonuses for you that we're going to keep under wraps for now. Uh, there's merch, there's giveaway, there's prizes, uh, and there's a ton of great stuff for you just at that live show. And then we all go to the game, watch it together. We've booked out the entire gondola, uh, upper bowl and lower bowl sections. So, so those are winged wheel podcast specific sections. And then post game, we always do, uh, an after party and get together. Uh, your tickets are discounted. You get a special winged wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels foundation directly. So go to DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. To get your tickets. Okay. The Red Wings played, Brad, what we described last episode as a a really important game because it's one they needed to win in terms of the opponent they had. Facing off against the Ottawa Senators for the first of three times this month uh, and coming off of four straight losses, the Red Wings really needed to pick up the points where they could, especially with all the injuries coming or all the injuries that have happened and the way that the East has essentially caught up to what Detroit was doing. Detroit ended up losing 6-3 in what was a game where I honestly believe the Red Wings beat themselves. This isn't new. We've seen this script before, Ryan. But yeah, what part of their game didn't collapse yesterday? You know, 5-on-5 was their usual bland, boring self which you know as for most of the season it's not been a bad thing but when your special teams are absolutely imploding you need to be a net positive at five on five and they just didn't seem to get any momentum from that and then as soon as the game went to special teams uh all that momentum was very quickly lost i don't think they were you know terrible five on five but they were just so disjointed and it's the failures at special teams that disrupted everything like at one point they had a power play down one goal late in the game and then they gave up a shorthanded goal. Like really, it, first of all, bad penalties and too many of them. You, you, they can't be, if you're going to be that bad on the PK that day, the message to the bench needs to be, hey, if you're going to be like this terrible trying to stop the man advantage, don't take the dumb penalty. And they did take too many stupid penalties. I think preventable ones, at least some of them. Uh, the power play wasn't good. They were one for seven, and the one that they had was on a five on three. So that's one that they should have converted. The positive there was that Hronik scored, and and it was great to see Hronik back after he left the previous game after the Reeves hit. So obviously he's you know good enough to play, and he looked good out there. So uh, not too too much concern on that front. But what are you meant to do when you're leading the game? You give up the lead. What was it twice? Yeah, and then Ottawa is up 4-3 on another, their third power play goal. 
you're down a goal and then you give up the shorty. Like that is just an encapsulation of the way that game went for me. Terrible on faceoffs. I think they were like they won a third of faceoffs, 33%. Dylan Larkin was playing, which is nice, but he also very clearly is playing with one hand right now. Um, he was a game time decision. It was a surprise to see him in, but we know Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin's played like 40% of his career hurt. The guy's a warrior, he'll tough it through, but he took, I think, one face off all night. Cop was taking the rest for him. That it's okay to lose games. It is. It genuinely is. And, and the Red Wings are going to have some losing streaks, and that's fine. But losing games like that, that those are the ones that irk me. Like you need to beat the Ottawa's of the league, and you especially can't lose the Ottawa's of the league that way. Two shorthanded goals against. One of them was an empty net, but still two shorthanded goals against and three power play goals against. Like that was special teams caved them that night. Day. The Red Wings, like, am I just making up a narrative in my head? But I feel like the Red Wings have been really bad in afternoon games the last few years. Matinee games always, they feel sleepy. Yeah, they just, they don't feel right. Maybe it's because I'm, like, old. Not, like, on my couch winding down for the day, so everything just feels weird. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I, th- I feel like this is a narrative I'm making up in my head, but I feel like every time I've sat on my couch to watch a game on a Saturday afternoon, it just goes horribly. Well, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, Joe Valeno actually opened scoring in his 100th career game, and he snuck one through that probably shouldn't have got through. Uh, and you know, Soderblom actually made a good play on that goal. He used his uh, insane reach to keep the puck alive, and then uh, the puck made its way to Valeno. Uh, and then shortly after was when Nikita Zaitsev went to go try to hit Soderblom, who was reversing backwards into the boards. <laughs> the way he like splatted backwards onto the boards when he ran into him was like a cartoon. It was actually hilarious. Uh, Soderblom looks good out there. It's nice to see. Yeah, he's had a good return. Had has a bit of momentum going behind him. Yeah, uh, Ernie did his best Justin Abdelkader uh, impression by taking a Wallman <laughs> shot off of him. <laughs> hey, it was uh, it was great for Ernie. Got the goal. Uh, Wallman's looked good actually. You know, I know he he got sat that one game, but I think most of this year he's looked great as long as he's been playing. Uh, and, and there's a continuation of that. Hronik and Wallman, uh, Max noted in his article um, yesterday or today. Uh, as well, but they they were bright spots for the Red Wings. Yeah, Wallman's been a bright spot. You know, obviously we know what Mata and Hronik have been doing together. So, you know, there's a, there's a recipe here to maybe shake up the top four. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, those are the three Red Wings goals, including the Hronik snipe on the five on three, which was you saw that you're like, oh, okay, breath of relief. Hronik's playing; he's still doing his thing. That's good. Um, but yeah. Like we said, the the special teams against Detroit, their PK was useless. Their power play did nothing. Zone entries. They cannot get the puck in the zone. They can't even get set up. It feels like there's an ebb and flow to this. And I understand, like, you know, if Larkin is your main puck carrier and he's hurt or, you know, unironically, people might be surprised to hear, but Philip Zadina is a really good puck carrier, like uh, carrying it into the zone. Joe Valeno, who doesn't get power play one time, carries the puck really well into the zone. It just couldn't do it. It's hard to be effective on the power play when you can't even get yourself to the power play. We talked about this, I want to say a few weeks ago, where we were kind of trying to figure out how many times the Red Wings scored on the power play off of a 1-0 zone draw, so they never had to, to actually gain the zone on that power play because... For the Red Wings power play, it's been hot and cold this year, but even in the hot streaks, 
they couldn't enter the zone. They haven't been able to consistently have good zone entries on the power play for what feels like seven years now. They've never been able to figure it out. They run the same system in this regime that they ran on the last one with the drop pass and then the two players come up with the read op, call it a read option, carry it or dump it to the one guy, and it never works. It never, because they, they successfully take three of their own players out of the play. And then when it doesn't work, if they even get their stick on the puck, they just rim it around the boards where the other team's usually waiting. It's just hilariously predictable, catastrophically ineffective, and yet it never changes. The better teams in the league are the ones that have deception to how they gain zone entry. Like you see the the Colorados, but that all comes back to the th- fact that they have threats. Yeah, you can create that deception. Their toolbox is a little deeper. Whereas when the Red Wings are trying to enter the zone, they just see Dylan Larkin, and they're like, "Oh, it's probably ninety nine percent of the time goes to him, and they, he tries to move the puck in, or they're going to dump it in, and our goalie will just come out and play the puck." Yeah. So it's uh, yes, you. That, it would be better with more talent, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> if, the, yeah. if the Red Wings got better players, they'd do better things. But, but honestly, like. It's a good point. Like the Red Wings don't have a deeper toolbox, but they still need to work with what they have. They could provide more deception into how they're going to get into the zone. They have guys who can do it. They do. For sure. You can't tell me Larkin, Raymond, Sider, Berggren can't gain the zone with possession. Like I understand why the Red Wings run the system they do because almost every team runs that some variation of this system and teams like Tampa and all that. It works. But the reason it doesn't work for the Red Wings is because there is deceptions, the right word. There are no variations is another word that needs because it's the same song and dance every time. When you're doing this zone entry, most of the defending teams generally have some setup along the lines of three guys stacked across the blue line with one guy to retrieve. Some teams will even get four guys really close to the line to just not let you get the zone. If they play an aggressive four near the line, a literal... You're coming through the neutral zone with a ton of momentum. If you just chip it in, you'll get it 100% of the time. If they have that guy back, then yeah, now you need to create an odd man matchup somewhere along the lines. It's like a two-on-one or a three-on-two. You want to isolate one guy with two attackers Mm -hmm. because then someone's going to do that. The Red Wings don't do that because the other guys are completely out of the play, so the defenders know they don't need to worry about them. They know the puck is not going that way, and if it does, it's just going to be on a rim around. I saw someone unironically suggest the flying V to me the other day. It can't be worse. (laughs) It can't be worse. Honestly, just try it to see. Yeah, so if the Red Wings want to be successful on this, they can be, but they need to get more players involved. Not necessarily to even touch the puck or be a pass option, they just have to make the defenders think they are. Yeah, just drive lanes, move the move the yeah. defensive pieces around. It's a you chess ha- game. They ha- they're stacking the line. You need to spread them out, and then you need to take two guys to attack one defender. That's how this works. The Red Wings don't do it. So that was the Red Wings' loss. Their next two games that they have upcoming, which will be uh, before our next episode, are Washington on the road on the 19th, and then they have Tampa at home on the 21st. That's the Wednesday as it stands right now, the Red Wings are out of a playoff spot. They are three spots out of a wild card spot. That was fast. The Atlantic. Well, then you lose five in a row. Yeah, it's the. We've been saying it all year. The East is tight. 
Detroit has 32 points. They, they're they firmly behind a divisional seed now, which like they were ahead of Tampa the other day, and Tampa's now nine points ahead with the same amount of games played, which is absolutely absurd. They've lost five, Tampa's won five. Hmm, that works. Yeah, they're, Detroit, was it literally Tampa's last loss and Detroit's last win was the same game? I think so, yeah. That feels right. Detroit is 32 points. You're like, okay, well, they're not too far out of the wild card mix, like a few points and they'd be in there. For example, the Islanders have 37 with two more games played. So Detroit is actually firmly in that mix. Detroit's also two points out of last in the Atlantic now. Yeah, the cliff is the cliff edge is right there. Evan, noted expert on cliffs now. Yeah. Hey, the been Grand a- Canyon is like an 11 <laughs> out of 10 on the old fear of heights meter. <laughs> I pulled both my glutes, and that's not because I was hiking, because my <laughs> butt cheeks were clenched for two straight days. I have to commend you. I was sweating bullets, and I, I proposed on flat ground, and you did it with a fear of heights at the top of the Grand Canyon. And it's covered in snow, and like the traction is not the greatest. Braver man than me. Speaking of the cliff, Detroit's staring at it. You know, we talked about this at the top of the show, but same time as last year. Different story, not the exact same things happening, but... You know, some similarities, injuries, uh, play is falling apart a bit. Guys who are hot have cooled down. They, they can't rely on Kubelik uh, to steal games anymore. Huso is doing his best. Like, he's not been perfect, but he, like even that game, he made a lot of really good saves. I think Huso was doing enough where they could have used that amount of good goaltending to get the win. Um, you know, Raymond's not. Raymond of last year right now. Larkin has one hand. Bertuzzi's out. Verona's still like he's back he's reinstated and we'll talk about that in a minute but he's not playing again yet like it looks bleak it doesn't look entirely positive is all hope lost does this change the strategy at the trade deadline does this change the strategy of of the next offseason what do you think I think to most people this changes the strategy at the trade deadline but this has always been my opinion anyway. I don't care if they were in a playoff spot. The path of, you know, sell the premium assets that you're not going to be able to re-sign has to stay in place. So that doesn't change much for me there. Is all hope lost? No, but it. I think it's worse than people realize. Like five points nowadays is not an inconsequential amount. That is a huge hill to climb because, again— what was it? Two episodes ago, we were talking about the road trip. We were happy with where the Red Wings went two, one, and one, and in that four-game stretch, lost points in the standings. Yeah, the East is the Thunderdome. A five-game losing streak is, as we've seen, a death sentence. The Red Wings literally can't go on a stretch like this again for the rest of the season. They can't. Doesn't matter if it's the next five games or in the middle of March. They cannot make the playoffs if that happens. And with the injuries, the talent level of this team, is anybody confident to say this isn't going to happen again this season? So not only do you need to make up, what is it? How many points are they behind Tampa now? Eight? What did you say earlier? Nine. Oh, nine. behind the divisional seed? Yeah, they're nine points back. So not only do you need to make that up, I think like the points percentage of the Atlantic right now is like a point six or something. Like that's the average. So you also have to do better than that, which is the average of all the good teams as well. Like, it gets extremely difficult to do that, um, especially when you have a depleted roster. I'm going to have a take that's probably equal parts way too pessimistic and annoyingly carefree. 
so much of this is not in Detroit's hands and so much of this, like the stuff that they have to work on is as we've preached, as Derek Lalone has preached, as Steve Eisman has preached, it's not going to change overnight. This is probably not a team that's going to overcome this hill. They're probably not going to scale the Grand Canyon and, and claw their way back. Losers. We'd love to see them try and I would love to see like how close they can get and they might surprise us as they surprise us at the start of the season, but that's probably not the most likely outcome for them at this point to put it lightly and that's fine. You know, Larkin's hurt. You're just getting Verona back now. Uh, you ha- you're dealing with pretty serious injuries. Bertuzzi's out for a little while yet, and he still has to shake off the rust and actually play good hockey in this system, which we haven't seen him play yet. There's just too much working against the Red Wings. So I'm not saying lay down and accept your fate, but as a fan, the way I'm watching it is almost reverting back to, and as depressing as it sounds, a lot of last season. Focus on the small storylines, on what you can improve on this team year over year. And if they end up losing a ton of games and all of a sudden they're in the draft lottery picture, great. If they make, here to do it. If they make hockey interesting up until February or March, then that's a huge bonus for me because that a lot of that picture has kind of gone away now. You, you can't see that far into the future. I would love to see them, you know, rehabilitate. Nah, that's probably too aggressive of a, word, of a word, but focus on maximizing Lucas Raymond's game, especially with the moving pieces around him. I would love to focus on them, you know, more on cops game. I would love to to see them focus on figuring out either the cider Sherat pairing or move him around. Maybe try Jake Wallman some more. He looked good next to cider for the, the little bit that he played with him. Uh, there are those kinds of storylines where it's like you build to next season and just see what you can accomplish for the rest of the year. But I think I just don't have enough hair left on my head to be stressed about something that's just, uh, it's too steep of a hill in my mind. Don't give up and don't stop hoping for wins, but Looking at realistically, like this isn't the West. The Red Wings have have a, a steep, steep mountain to climb. They do. That doesn't mean they can't or shouldn't be playing meaningful games in March. I would love that to be true. I just don't know if that's going to be the case. Meaningful to them. That's that's the catch twenty two. Because you know, as a fan or an analyst of hockey, you know that if you know March first, you are five points out of a playoff spot. How significantly long your odds are. In a dressing room, they don't know that. They think that's still within striking distance. So if, if they, that's their job, yeah, if they can hang around so that this core or whatever, whatever core you want to classify it as, if it's the Simon, uh, not Simon, uh, Cider Raymond age bracket, whatever, is playing meaningful games, they know what it feels like, and they can take that forward for when this team is actually good. That's important because you don't want to run into what's happened to Buffalo and Arizona and all these other teams that just never got out of the basement. So I'm not going to sit here and say this season's a write-off. It's not. We've seen this team can be good. And again, as we've mentioned, so much has gone wrong for this team this year that is beyond their control. The fact they're still hanging around is a good sign. The flaws of this team are significant and very obvious. Um, and there's and a lot of those even getting healthy isn't going to fully fix, but it is going to mask a lot of it. Because, you know, in the NHL, talent is the true fix-all. So I'm optimistic that this skid won't be as bad the next time it happens, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen a few more times. 
The rest of the month, the Red Wings have, like we mentioned before, Washington, Tampa Bay. They have Ottawa again, and then Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Ottawa again. So they have Ottawa, who they just lost to and who have seemed to be heating up lately two more times. They have Washington, who is heated up and who is in the, the wild card race with them. So those are important points. They have Tampa Bay, who's playing like Tampa Bay. They have four of those six games are divisional teams. Pittsburgh, it's not going to be an easy task. And Buffalo, who is also hot. Like they, there's... It sounds ridiculous to say because it's the most obvious thing in the world, but if the Red Wings want to make my take look really, really dumb and walk away into January without any false hope to make games as meaningful as possible, they need to maximize the rest of this month. And that's hard. That's really hard when, you know, your most important forward has one hand right now. Uh, It's really hard when the whole team is just working with an adjusting lineup. And a lot of this is even, you know, not new things or things that aren't falling apart. A lot of this is just regression to the mean. We've talked plenty, and and you've mentioned it, I think, today, Brad. You know, their five-on-five game wasn't phenomenal all year. They were being propped up by special teams and a goalie. You saw what happened when special teams fell apart against Ottawa. So this is just a little bit of the other side of the coin that we saw more of uh, to start the season. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Two more games before next episode. For now, let's talk about something more positive. Jacob Vrana. The NHL and NHLPA player assistance program uh, announced that he has been reinstated and is eligible to return for the Red Wings. We saw him practicing as of Friday. So that all happened on Friday, which was a, a day after the last episode. And genuinely, like not just saying it was a surprise to everyone and fans and whatever, like, no, this was uh, the team doesn't get much notice that this is happening. Like it, it's all for very, very, very good reason, kept pretty hush hush. Uh, on a personal level, I do like to see that because that's kind of what you want to see for something that is, you don't know what he was in that program for, but the confidentiality is so, so important. So Verona returned to practice as a Friday, uh, eligible to to play at any point that the Red Wings decide he's game ready. And that's the most you know crucial point now is how long is it going to take him to, to be game ready? Missed two months of not just NHL games, but NHL conditioning and NHL practice. Jacob said he tried you know everything he could to stay in shape, but there's only so much you can do without being in an NHL program. So uh, I don't know how long that'll take. I think the Red Wings are probably going to err towards the side of urgency. Uh, they'll probably be pretty understanding that he's not going to have game legs. But when you have that shot and the Red Wings have that little scoring, they're going to want him in as soon as possible. Derek Lalone said uh, they're, they're going to be patient with him, but it would be intriguing to see the difference he makes in the lineup. So he doesn't know what the timeline will, will be. And it just depends on how quick. Verona can get up to, I mean, close to game speed, I suppose. So my guess is that they'll they'll cheat a little bit more towards getting him in as soon as they can, but I don't think they'll do anything that'll, you know, get him hurt or anything. But massive news. I was actually very, very surprised. I didn't think we'd see him back this year. I'm convinced he heard our episode on Thursday and said, I'm back now. That's right. Yeah. The people need me. Yeah. <laughs> what does that do for the Red Wings lineup and how much does that inspire you that like how much of a shot in the arm could this be for for a Red Wings team that doesn't score much? A decent shot, uh, literally. It's his biggest strength, and yeah. he's got the best shot on the team. Probably help, def- not probably definitely helps the power play. And I'm talking when he gets up to speed. I'm not talking his first few games. You're gonna see him probably on like the third or fourth line to start. I would yeah. guess, unless he's re- in real great shape, and they're they're like, hey, Larkin needs help. One player isn't fixing this offense right now. They need wrong. Connor McDavid next. Yeah, that's right. Okay, 
I'm done. Sorry. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, two players, Connor Bedard, which a hey, maybe, but um, so it, it's going to be a situation whether people want to admit it or not. Vrana is going to help, and he is going to be the first piece to fixing this, and it could be fixed this season, but it's going to require Vrana to come back and Vrana to play like Vrana. It's going to require Dylan Larkin to play with two hands. It's going to require Tyler Bertuzzi. It's going to require Robbie Fabry. It's going to require, whether people want to admit it or not, Phillips Adina. You need 12 NHL forwards playing, and you need them to be playing well because, you know, for as good as some of the depth guys on this team, like Suter and Ernie, fill their roles and do what they do, they're not solving this problem. They're just not. They are good stop gaps. You know, Austin Sarnik's been playing his role fantastic for what's been asked of him. He was put on waivers today, by the way. I would imagine he clears. I wouldn't be certain about that, but either way, these guys have have been done what has been asked of them, but they do not have the talent or capability of fixing what ails this team right now. Not one single player, outside of if their first name's Connor, has <laughs> the ability to fix it by themselves. The Red Wings have enough players that need to come back to fix this issue that it's possible. But in the time they come back, you know, Dylan Larkin can't break his other hand. You know, Lucas Raymond can't go down. They have to, have to, have to get healthy. And it has to be pretty much immediate, right? Like They do not have a lot of time, unfortunately. Because if all of these guys are back... And let's say everything starts clicking mid to late January, it's probably too late. Not only do they have to be healthy, like you said, Brett, they have to be playing well. For a guy like Verona, it's a pretty big question mark, but we've not really seen a poor playing uh, um, Jacob Verona. For, you know, Brad, you listed Phillips Adina. I think that's the tallest task of all. It's like, okay, get healthy and then all of a sudden play well. Well, we haven't seen that yet in the regular season. Tyler Bertuzzi, get healthy and play well. Okay, well, he has not been healthy all year, and in the limited time we saw him, he was having a hard time fitting into Derek Lalonde's system. Tall, tall, steep mountain. Oh, I didn't say it was going to happen. Oh, no, I'm I know. I'm saying this is what needs to happen for the Red Wings to not only get out of the funk they're in, but gain ground. Because, again, it, it, you have to note, they're behind the eight ball now. They are not trying to hold on to a playoff spot. They have to start leapfrogging teams to get back into a playoff spot, which means they are going to have to play better than they have at any point this season, which, again, for all the reasons I laid out, is possible. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I don't want people to take this as it's done, pack it in. There is a scenario here where it happens. What I laid out is that scenario. Is it likely? course not like i want to be optimistic about the situation and there is reasons for optimism for me if we're talking in likelihood they'll start next year at the very least red wings fans get to watch jacob verona who's one of the most electric you know point producers on the team um if he comes back and is able to just rip him right away then that'd be just fun, at least. It, there's been a lack of fun in games. I, I would say all year, even. And some of that's a product of the, the kind of game they're playing. But a lot of that has been, yeah, like Bertuzzi's been out. Verona's been out. Raymond's not been playing at his his best level. Uh, Larkin was holding his own there for as long as he could until he, you know, 
broke whatever it is or, or, or hurt whatever it is in his hand or wrist. Um, yeah. It, the injection of fun would be nice at the very least. If the team's not going to have success, it would just be nice to have some individual success that we can all root for. Oh, let's copy and paste that for the last seven years, eight years. There, Yeah, okay. Yeah, if I'm going to use a lot of F words for the rest of the season, mixing in fun every once in a while would be okay. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be bad. All right, on that note, uh, I want to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. All right, we are going to uh, uh, add some optimism to this episode and some fun. We've not talked about prospects all year. Uh, It's almost World Juniors. Uh, It is almost time for prospect profiles, I'm sure. Uh, There's been a lot of conversation about Connor Bedard, uh, Fantilli, Mijkov, uh, Will Smith, a bunch of guys actually this year, and we haven't uh, we haven't jumped too deep into those conversations. So we thought to kick that off and to start focusing a little bit on what the World Juniors in the 2023 draft will bring, uh, we invited our good friend Tony Ferrari of uh, the Hockey News uh, onto the show to let us know what to look for with the 2023 draft class, Red Wings prospects, and the World Juniors. So without further ado, our conversation with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News. Tony, I'm going to be accused uh, of bringing you in because things are looking grim for the Red Wings right now. Uh, And that might even be a little bit true, but it has been far too long since we've uh, both spoken to you and talked about uh, draft prospects. So, Tony, thanks for joining the show. I'm happy to join at the peak of Red Wings happiness this year. (laughs) (laughs) folks this is tony ferrari uh a draft expert from the hockey news all things prospects uh junior player development and you're gearing up for the world juniors right now yeah yeah my apartment's all torn apart but uh that the only thing i've saved so far is my christmas tree uh the stockings behind me and the television so i can watch the world juniors because yeah it's gonna be full-on coverage of everything uh wjc perfect well why don't we actually start with that and there is a uh there's a decision that was kind of surprising for Red Wings fans. Obviously, this team is phasing out of all of their talent being in the draft pool or the junior pool, but uh, they still had a couple of players, Red Savage and Shai Buyam, who were at the Team USA camp. Uh, and I, at least in my mind, both were considered pretty strong candidates, if not locks, to make it. But Shai Buyam was left off the roster. What do you make of that decision by Team USA? Uh, I think USA went with high skill in the back end, but when you look at the guys that they did keep, they they decided, you know what, like let's double down on the Luke Hughes, the Sean Barons, because I think that's something I know you guys talked about on the show and something I've talked about a few times where 
can USA just decide they're not going to have defensive defensemen? Are they going to just go full-on offensive small guys that are all under six foot, basically, except for Luke Hughes? And they said yes, and they ended up doing it. So I think them and Canada went a little bit different what routes with their roster construction. Canada went all skill up front, big boys on the back end. Uh, USA went all skill on the back end and a lot of bigger guys up front. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see which roster philosophy works out a little bit better. But yeah, Shai Bouillon was a guy I was pretty sure was going to make it at least as like a depth defenseman number seven guy. But at the end of the day, they, they end up not taking him and they opt to keep uh, all the little fast fun guys. We'll circle back to the World Juniors at the end just to kind of give people a summary. But because of the lack of Red Wings prospects, I'm going to be selfish here and move us along to the 2023 NHL draft. Uh, Connor Bedard has been the name of the game uh, for obvious reasons. And we can talk about Connor, but there are a ton of really, really, really talented prospects uh, in the 2023 draft at the top. So ignore where the Red Wings are in the standings and ignore that they'd never win a draft lottery ever for any reason. Uh, tell us about who you think are the potential franchise-changing players in the 2023 NHL draft. Uh, well, currently number six on my board, because that's where Detroit will draft, is Will Smith. But uh, no, honestly, um, no, there's a few guys. This draft is really deep. It's a really, really good draft. Probably the best draft that we've seen since that, that Jack Hughes NTDP year. And it's not the NTDP kids that are doing it. It's the WHL in, in Europe that I think have the, the big advantage this year. I think at the top, you obviously have Connor, like you said. And then Adam Fantilli is a guy that would probably go first overall in any other year. I look at his game, and he's so much more refined than any other player in this draft, especially playing a two-way game. He's got the goal-scoring touch that, that you want from a high-end center. And he has the distribution ability. We've seen it at Michigan this year. He's, uh, at one point, he was leading the, the entire NCAA in scoring. He's probably he's going to be a favorite for the Hobie Baker going into that, that uh, voting process. And he's only a freshman. He's a guy that's fresh in the league, not going to be doing a whole lot in the NCAA long term, I don't think, because he'll probably be in the NHL next year or take the Owen Power route and take one one final run at the uh, NCAA and, and then jump to the NHL the, at the end of the next year. But he's he's a guy that would go first overall in any year. A lot of times, and, and the other thing is with him, I think he's closer to Bedard than a lot of people are giving credit for. Bedard has all the skill, the flash, the, the speed, the everything you want from a, a highly dynamic player. But Adam Fantilli has so much more of that pro-ready game. I, I've used the comparison loosely, and obviously they're not the same players. But you look at the Bedard-Fantilli debate, and you go a lot to last season where you saw Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews up for the Hart Trophy. Do you want the guy that's all speed, going to produce 110, 120 points, going to be that difference maker offensively, but gives up a little bit defensively, even though he has made strides over the last couple of years? Or do you want that complete dominating to a presence that can score score the lights out with his own shot and make everything around him better? And I think that's kind of what you're getting. And I don't think either guy is going to be McDavid or Matthews, but you're getting the players in those molds. So I think that's really interesting. And the third guy I'll throw in there, I know everyone's talking about Matt Vimichkov, the Russian kid, and he's had a good season, but there are flaws in his game that I'm sure we'll get to. But I think the third guy, on, at least on my list right now, is Leo Carlson, the Swedish kid. So if Detroit fans are listening, this is your guy. Um, but he plays that power forward game, uh, blends skill and power so seamlessly. There's so many times where I've seen him absolutely undress one defender and then the other defender comes over to help and Carlson just throws that defender on his back and powers to the net and then dangles the goalie with the guy there. So, and he's doing it against men in the SHL. So there's three top, top high end guys at the top of this draft. And then you have wild cards like Mitchkov and Zach Benson as well. And even Will Smith. About Leo Carlson. I must be the most annoying person in the world pre-draft because I constantly ask this question. 
how much does he project to possibly play center at the NHL level? Because you're checking a lot of boxes for Red Wings fans to be excited about a player. Swedish, already playing in the SHL, already letting it up against men. Can he play center too? Yeah, he's a center, and I don't think he's going to move to the wing. I think if he were to move to the wing, he has the ability to do it, like any center, any good center really does, I think, except for a few cases. But I think this is a guy that probably plays down the middle. He's got the strength. He's got the two-way acumen. I think playing against men basically the last two years has done a really good job of him developing that that 200-foot presence. He knows where to be in the defensive zone, starts plays from that end of the ice. Uh, he does a little bit of everything. I think that's the thing I love about Carlson's game is that he's not the most effective transition guy. But if you, if you need him to be the transition guy, he has no problem doing it. He has this, the speed and the skinny ability to do it. It's just... Is he going to be a William Nylander uh, transition-wise? Probably not, but he's going to be able to do it quite effectively, similar to the way a guy like Austin Matthews or someone like that does, or, or a guy like you look at the Red Wings. I don't think anyone's looking at T- Tyler Bertuzzi going, oh, that's that's the transition guy on this roster, but he's able to do it perfectly fine. I, I, I liken him a little bit to, to uh, Lucas Raymond that way in transition, at least uh, in that aspect. Obviously, I think Carlson's going to play center. Uh, he's got the size and the speed and the strength to do it, so I, I don't see him playing anywhere else. You mentioned Matt Vemichkov, and he's a really interesting story and probably going to be the hardest puzzle for whatever team's in a position to draft him to solve. Uh, why don't you lay out for the, the viewers who Michkov is as a player and what makes drafting him so complicated? I think I'll start with the complications. I think the big thing is everyone's going to go, well, the contract, the contract, well, at the end of the day, his contract takes him two years out from the NHL. And I think you look at most players drafted in the top 10, unless they're really high-end talents or special talents, you're usually waiting two years anyway. So I don't think the contract's as big of an issue as a lot of people are making it. Um, if he signs another one, then yeah, probably there's a there's a bigger issue and a conversation to be had about that. But I think the big issue with Mitch Kyle's game is that he's not a guy that plays exactly projectable hockey. And I think that's a a trade of a lot of Russian kids that play in the in the lower ranks. He's not playing in the KHL consistently, getting the the reps against the men as you, you, we kind of hoped we'd see this year. And he's just absolutely lighting up the MHL, taking advantage of the fact that he doesn't have to do a whole lot there because he is so much better than everyone there. Um, I think there is some some bad tendencies, and, and Connor Bedard has this a little bit too, not to the same degree. But he loves to just take shots from anywhere. He doesn't care where he is in the ice. If he's on the goal line, he'll take it. If he's in the corner, I've seen him take shots. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're able to do that against MHL opponents. You're able to do that even against VHL guys where he's played most of the year. Can you do it against the the NHL guys? In the AHL, you're not going to score that way usually. I think the big difference is the defensive structures and the, the goaltending in the NHL. And that's where I think he's going to struggle. He's got the shot. And when he gets to the middle of the ice, he's absolutely electric. He'll blow a puck by a goalie's ear and laugh while doing it. He's He's got that kind of ability. Uh, the other thing with Mitchkov is he likes to play hero hockey a lot. Um, he likes to just go and be the guy on every play and, and try to deke and dangle everybody. And at the end of the day, that doesn't always work. I think the big thing is when he uses his teammates, he becomes so much more effective in every other aspect, including as a goal scorer, because then the focus isn't solely on him. When he tries to put the focus solely on him, he finds difficulties and he has a little bit of a hard time getting that shot off. When he's using his teammates more effectively, as we've seen him do at periods this year, then you start to see the, the true high-end Mitchkov come out. So I do think he's the biggest wild card. I could see him anywhere, honestly, with the emergence of Fantilli kind of securing that number two spot on a lot of boards. I think you could realistically see Mitchkov go anywhere between even two to six, seven, eight, and it, it wouldn't shock me at all. So what you're saying is even if Detroit 
you know, their season continues to degrade and they miss the playoffs and they, of course, don't win the draft lottery, they could still end up with Matt Vamichov. As long as they're drafting sixth overall, it'll probably be there. (laughs) Consider it a lock. Uh, We talked about Fantilli. We talked about Michikov. We talked about Carlson. Let's talk a little bit more about Connor Bedard's game and the word special. Is what Connor Bedard, is what he's doing right now, is that unprecedented? Is it almost unheard of based on how he shoots and how he plays? Yeah, it really is. This is a kid that has incredible, incredible speed with a high, high high-end shot. Like, I think uh, one of the comparisons I've heard uh, on the show from you guys and from other people is you don't see a guy with the speed that he has with a shot that really only rivals Austin Matthews in terms of technique. His ability to pull the puck in, get flex on the stick, and and do all the things that he does. Yeah, I had to mention flex for Brad. He'll love that. But uh, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's this incredible ability to be a goal scorer with that speed. And I think that's what differentiates Connor Bedard from anybody else. Going into the World Juniors, he's got a 17-point point lead, if I'm not mistaken, a, a 5-6 goal gap as, a, as the goal scorer. He's going to come back from the World Juniors, and he very well could be leading both those categories. And if he's not leading the goal scoring category, it'll probably be two games before he does again. Like He's that special of a talent as a goal scorer. There are flaws in his game, for sure. Like I said, he has some of the same traits as Mitchkov, where because he's so much better than everyone else in that league, and because Regina is absolute dog doo-doo outside of him and a couple other players he has to put everything on his back if he's not the one winning the game for them no one's going to do it really i think their next best player is a 2024 draft eligible in tanner howe so that's kind of saying something and you look at Connor bedard and he's taking shots from below the dots he's taking shots from up near the blue line he's taking shots from all over the place and they're going in because he's Connor bedard and he has that good of a shot that shot still doesn't translate at the NHL level. If, if it did, Matthews would have 80, 90 goals instead of that. McDavid would have as many more, even more goals than that. So it, it's, it's looking at guys like that that have made that transition to focusing on the center of the ice. Connor Bedard's going to need to address, uh, adjust to that, but I, I don't have any doubt that he's going to. This kid's an incredible talent. The, the way he's been able to tear up the WHL, lead this entire CHL in scoring and kind of just laugh his way through it. And, and, he does have that little bit of a pest element. We saw that last summer at the World Juniors where someone's kind of getting under his skin. He has no problem scoring a goal and laughing in their face. So I, I love that element of his game as well. He's going to be a fun player to watch. If Detroit can uh, continue playing as great as they have lately and and, <laughs> and win that draft lottery, then, then Connor Bernard would fit really nicely in that lineup. Okay, I'm going to read off names going backwards, first overall picks, and I want you to stop me when there's a player you think is equal or greater to the uh, projection or the kind of promise that Connor Bedard's showing right now. Uri Slavkovsky. No. Owen Owen Power. No. Alexi Lafreniere. No. Jack Hughes. No. Rasmus Dahlin. Nico Heischer. No. Austin Matthews. That's probably the one. That's the one I'd say yeah. is equal. I'd say McDavid was probably a little bit, a little bit higher. But those two there, outside of those two, I don't really even know. Even going back to like John Tavares, Steven Stamkos, like I'd still take Connor Bernard over those guys, especially in today's game where speed, the ability to put guys on their heels and, and pressure that way is so much more important than it was back 10, 15 years ago even. Okay. All right. Well, you mentioned a lot about the World Juniors, so let's talk about it. Uh, who is going to use the World Juniors or who do you project is going to use the World Juniors as a stage to really show the hockey world, hey, you're sleeping on me, and I'm about to shoot up the draft board. 
Uh, I'm going to go off the board here because I think Leo Carlson's going to have a good tournament. Fantilli, I I have a hot take article coming out next week uh, for, for Hockey News saying that he's going to outscore Bedard. So I think there are going to be some fun stuff that happens with those high-end draft eligibles. Uh, Gavin Brindley made the U.S. roster. If he gets into ga- some games, I think he could be a guy. But I think the one guy I'm going to go with is Martin Mishiak, uh, playing for the Slovakia, a guy that isn't on a ton of draft boards. He's right outside the first round for me right now. But he plays the game with such efficiency such a pro like i I, he you'd step him into the nhl right now and he'd be a solid bottom six guy i think and he plays with speed plays uh, he's one of the best four checkers maybe the best four checker in the entire draft uh he does so many of these little things well the production hasn't exactly come along for him at the senior level and in slovakia so you're kind of hoping that he takes that step at the world juniors and produces offensively and if he does then i think he's a guy that could be a sneaky kind of late first round mid first round addition I also mentioned Gavin Brindley, a guy I love in this uh, this draft class. Makes the U.S. roster. He's the only other draft eligible outside of uh, Charlie Strammel and, and NTDB goalie Trey Augustine, who probably won't play, to be honest, even though he should. Um, and Brindley is, is undersized, so much skill, so much speed, so much like ability to kind of just fight for that puck. He's a, he's a dog on the puck. In the offensive zone, I think a lot of people go, well, he's small, he's doing this, he's not going to be able to do that. Well, in the NCAA, he gets under guys, takes the puck, and creates a chance. He does a lot for the, of the secondary scoring for that Michigan team behind a guy like Fantilli. So I think it's going to be really interesting because when Michigan lost Frank Nazar for the year, they looked at Gavin Brindley and went, all right, well, you're going to fill that role. And, and that's obviously a big role to fill, even though they're both freshmen. Gavin Brindley coming in, he's had ups and downs, but he's been able to do it for the most part. He's able to be a driving force on a line with a guy like a Rucker McGrory and stuff like that, who isn't going to drive a line, but he's going to produce. And Gavin Brindley is a big reason for that. Well, we're going to have plenty more as the uh, as the conversation on 2023 draft eligibles develop. Let's talk about guys who have already been drafted by the Red Wings, namely uh, one of the most electric prospects that the Red Wings have in the system right now, just in terms of intrigue, is Dmitry Bichelnikov going back to Russia. Uh, a lot is being made of of how much his game could be for Detroit, but it's really hard to kind of get a, a firm grasp on the kind of player he is. What's your take on Dmitry Bichelnikov? An incredibly skilled player. I look at him kind of similar to the way I look at Jag- Jagger Furkus last year, and I, I think everyone knows how high a lot of people were on Jagger Furkus. And he plays the game with such pace, such ability to just kind of dip and dive and he's almost like a video game you look at him and you go man that's exciting and and then when you watch him over time you go okay the highlights are there for sure but there's a lot of little little holes in his game i think defensively he's kind of hit and miss the he'll make a play if it seems like it's going to generate offense but other times you'll kind of see him wave at a puck or kind of go into a, a board battle without really committing to being in that board battle and i think those are some of the areas of his game that are going to need to work itself out a little bit but the high-end skill is there, and I think he's going to get a chance to make an NHL career out of it. It's going to depend on how much is he willing to kind of cave to that NHL mentality of you have to try to win every puck. You don't have those chances. I mean, we look, and obviously he's not the same player, but we look at Toronto's abundance of treatment of William Nylander and how much they absolutely seem to despise the guy one day and love him the next based on what he does. And a lot of that comes from just the fact that William Nylander doesn't want to go into every board battle full full bore and be that guy that's winning every one. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what Bill Chelnikov does when he comes over because it's it's going to be a lot of that. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if he does make an NHL roster. He's in the middle six. He's scoring quite a bit. And he's making some really, really high-end plays that you just can't even imagine coming from another player in his position. And then you go... But why wouldn't he even chase that that loose puck down? Or why wouldn't he go and, and try to battle for that puck in the corner in the last two minutes of a game? 
And at the end of the day, like there are just certain players that that's not their game. And I think Buchel Makov might end up being one of those guys. Another player that's been uh, really fun to watch for the Red Wings has been Carter Mazur. Uh, in the 2021 draft, I remember us on, on this podcast saying, um, you know, he was the only player where we really questioned whether he was worth the pick that was used on him. So naturally, he's been the one who's outperformed his pick the most. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Carter Mazur's game and how he's projecting at the NHL level. This is a guy that loves to score goals, and I don't think that's ever going to be an issue for him. I think you always get concerned a little bit, if I'm not mistaken, looking at his stat line. Yeah, he's got 15 goals and five assists this year in 20 games. So he's got a point a game. 15 of them are goals in the NCAA, which is great. You love seeing him be able to score there. You get concerned about his ability to kind of use his teammates and do everything else and, and outside of being that goal scorer. We saw him at the World Juniors and how effective he was there in scoring goals and being a, a difference maker. So it's really just going to be about what is he going to be at the NHL level? I don't think he's going to be a top six guy, but I think he's going to be one of those bottom six guys that ends up scoring a big goal. And I think Detroit knows all about those guys, the the Chris Drapers, the Kirk Maltby's, the the Darren McCarty's, those guys that they weren't scoring 40 goals a year, but when you needed a goal, a lot of times it ended up being those guys. And I think Carter Mazur could be, kind of fill that role in a modern day Wings team. All right, and last one for you here. The uh, the highlight, the kind of pinnacle of Red Wings prospects right now, and pretty much a lot of their hopes hinge on this guy, Marco Casper. How's he doing? Terrible. He's a brutal prospect. Uh, <laughs> he's not good. Didn't even make the World Junior team. What a bum. Um, no, honestly, this is a guy that's making me eat my own underwear, honestly, at, the, at this point, because uh, I wasn't super high on him. His offensive ability last year just seemed very, very basic for a guy that was projected to be in the top 10. So I had him outside my top 15 even. And a lot of people questioned me on that. And there's a few people that had him that low. But a lot of people started having him up high towards the end of the year. And maybe I look back on my process with him and I was like, maybe I wasn't paying too enough attention to him late in the year as I should have been. Because this kid's done an absolute wonderful job in, in the SHL, being a, being a really good player over there. The reason he's not on the World Junior team is just because he's simply above that now. And like to be that good already, being as a draft plus one, a guy that could easily go to the World Juniors and be one of the best players for Austria, it, it's really fun to see because he's such a good player, such a mature player. Like you said, the two way guy that knows how to do everything on the ice. Is he going to be a number one center? Probably not. I don't think you have to worry about that so long as Dylan Larkin signs a contract. But if you have him as your second line center, or even as a luxury elite third line center, that'd be outrageous. And I think that's the kind of role that Casper's going to fill because he does so many things right. And that offensive touch is really coming. The skills pop in this year. And he's certainly, like I said, he's making me uh, kind of eat my words from last year. All right, Tony. Well, I mean, we all we can't get them all right, and you're you're close enough to perfect. So we appreciate you jumping on the show and giving us the uh, the draft rundown and the Red Wings prospect rundown, folks. Tony Ferrari, you can find his work uh, at the Hockey News uh, and on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Tony, thank you so much, and uh, until next time. Anytime, boys. All right, and that was our talk with Tony Ferrari. Uh, probably too vain and too insane to be hoping for Connor Bedard so undoubtedly I'm going to create an emotional attachment to either Bedard, Fantilli or Michkov and be ultimately disappointed when Detroit ends up with none of them. Leo Leo Carlson it is. Yeah we'll take that. There's you know what like for all the hope at the start of the season if Detroit doesn't end up in a playoff spot which again all year we've said it's been fun and and we might be more wrong than we thought we were but not really part of the projections 
But I never really thought they'd be part of the top four. But if Detroit can somehow pick top four, like that's a great top four to be in. And Tony said, Michkov might even fall further than that. Well, you lose three years of him, so how does that value stack up for slightly worse prospects behind him, right? Do it, those three years make up that talent gap? And it's easy to say, you know, it does for some, but then once he's there, it makes things a lot easier. But then you look at, you know, if you're comparing, let's say, Michkov to where Edvinson was drafted and he's taking two years of development and you're only losing Michkov for three, it could be a fascinating argument. We'll see where it goes. We'll talk more about that. Uh, I think we'll have a, a clearer picture, obviously, by trade deadline. Some NHL news. Alex Ovechkin, goal number 800. Um, the guy does not stop scoring. And next on the list is Gordy Howe at 801 goals. And who does Alex Ovechkin play at home on Monday? The Detroit Red Wings. Kind of poetic. Would make sense for it to happen there for him to either catch and or pass Gordy. I have to admit, I love what Derek Lalonde said to the team, which is don't make it easy. Don't do your damnedest to make sure that you are not part of that story, especially because he'll be passing, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest Detroit Red Wing of all time. Make it hard on Ovi. That's a great message, but you can almost write in pen what's going to happen. That dude, it's it seems uh, uh, like the world, the hockey world, only only exists in Detroit. Of me to say that guy has Detroit's number because he has everyone's number. He's the most prolific goal scorer of all oh, time I, in my mind. I actually saw a chart of uh, how many goals he scored against each team. Detroit is firmly middle of the pack. Really? Yeah. If you ask well, me, that's I what happens said when you score eight hundred goals? It yeah. feels like he always is scoring on you. I actually, I'm curious because this. I love this answer. Do you know which team he has scored the most goals against? Philadelphia. No. Pittsburgh. No. Rangers. Nope. You guys, it, I'll give you guys 15 guesses. You won't get it. No, I'm Arizona. Toronto. It's kind of a trick question. Uh, Go for uh, it. The Winnipeg Jets. How's that a trick question? The Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, <sighs> I should have thought of that. Yeah. Because that franchise, that's right. They yes. were the, they, they were remember the same this, division, yeah. the south, the old South least. That that division is always what people bring up when we talk about like smaller divisions. They're like, you're going to get a division like that again. Yeah, yep. he tore them up. My God. Uh so that's huge. At this point, you're going to call Ovi passing Gretzky likely, right? I, again, I'll same same reference. You can almost write it in pen. He's got to average. Because he's he just signed a contract for what three, four, five more years, something like that. So if he plays through this contract, he only has to average like twenty five to thirty goals a season, if that. Like he's about, well, he's exactly three more years after this one. After this one, yeah. So yeah, so let's say he finishes this season not super hot and tax on another fifteen. Which I think is on the low end of what he's going to do. That's absurd. Simply another 15, yeah. Yeah, and that'll probably be on the low end. So then he's looking at 75 goals over three seasons. He'd have to average 25. I think that's a pretty good bet. He, like, the arguments are pretty much already over. He's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in the history of hockey. You can make your cases for if Bossy played you know, didn't get hurt. Sheriff Bure didn't get hurt. If Mario didn't get sick and, you know, 
And you can't discount Gretzky's scoring the yeah, most of all time. You know, Gretzky was Gretzky, but the era-adjusted stats back it up. What Ovi's doing in the era that he's doing it is insane. And you can't fault, you know, Burray for playing in the 90s or Bossy and Gretzky for playing in the 80s. You can only play in the era that you can play in. And they were dominant in those eras. But you also can't dominate, argue, sorry, that Ovechkin played in a very low-scoring era compared to what they went through. And he still broke 800 goals. That is mental. First ballot Hall of Famer? Uh, I would say so, all yeah. Right, okay. It might be close. But making sure. Making <laughs> you, sure we're all on the same wavelength here. You could make the argument. Okay, fair hot, enough. Hot take from Evan coming back from the hot desert. Yeah. Appreciate you bringing... Uh, bringing the, the heat. Yeah, a little bit of spiciness to the episode. For Okay, from a Red Wings perspective, do you think it matters what, what Lalone said to, to make it a little personal to not let Ovi tie or pass Gordy in that game, or do you think it doesn't matter? It would matter to me. I think it matters. I really don't want to be on the highlight reel of when that happens for the next X amount of years. Yeah, that's that's really it, right? Imagine you're the goalie. Yeah, it, you don't want to be that goalie. The Wings need to call up, like, Olkinora, just play this game just in case. No, no, because then it's guaranteeing that it's going to happen. <laughs> Take the over, folks. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, you're putting money on it right now. You betting he gets gets it against Detroit? I, I'm placing that bet. Oh, God, please. Red Wings, just sell out. The the Red Wings penalty kill that you witnessed yesterday is going up against the greatest power play threat in the history of hockey. Like, nothing in hockey is certain. Hockey is the most random sport there is. But. <laughs> ben Chirot is all over the ice anyways, so just assign him to stick to Ovechkin's side. Yeah. Fight him if you have to. Take him off the ice for five minutes. Do that a few times a game. Boom. It's very funny how a coin flip sport is so predictable. <laughs> oh, I, honestly. Yeah, uh, hockey loves its storylines. Okay, uh, speaking of things that are predictable, the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> Elliot Friedman um, talked on the, I think, Hockey Night in Canada intermission and said, the Canucks are not interested in a rebuild or a teardown, but they are interested in changing their mix and breathing new life into the team, and they have indicated they only have one untouchable, Elias Pettersson. So... A lot of heavy implications there. Let's not make too many jokes about the fact that they said they don't want to tear down or rebuild, but they do only have one untouchable, which are usually the words of a team who is about to tear down or rebuild. Um, Quinn Hughes not being named is the first and foremost thing that stands out there. Bo Horvat, I mean, a lot can change in a snap of a finger in just one day, but Bo Horvat might as well be as good as gone. With those words being out there. Well, after the report last week that he turned on the latest contract offer and Vancouver was just going to take the highest offer for him by the deadline, he's as good as gone. Like, when the team has to release a statement on Bo Horvat's behalf, he's gone. He's I, absolutely gone. I know we talked I know we talked earlier about, oh, you know, the Red Wings, either the lottery or close to the playoffs would be nice. There's a really good chance that they're in a, the mucky middle here and it's not a very fun place, which would mean I am banging the table hard to make the Bo Horvat trade work if I'm the Red Wings. I would love that to have him on Detroit. But anyways, on Vancouver, there could be an opportunity for a team to swing in. You can take a bad contract. Uh, you, someone might you know, make a run at Quinn Hughes, although I don't know that contract, uh, 7.85 mil a year and through 2027. And he's... Not untouchable. Not untouchable. That would be teams lining up for that. 
Yeah, like, and I guess we should clarify a player not being untouchable doesn't mean they're shopping him. No, they just have to get the right offer. Yeah, like, okay, fine, we will listen. Your offer has got to be about 150% of market value for us to say yes. But that sends a really bad message to Quinn Hughes. That sends it, that says we don't think you're necessarily part of the solution here. We would be better if there's a scenario where we trade you. Like, I, I get what they're saying, but it's, it's just so what nonsensical. Are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Pick a lane. Well, you're either tearing it down and you better start shopping the Quinn Hughes's to get maximum value because Quinn Hughes, for what he is, his age, his contract, he would get, that would give you a one hell of a head start on a rebuild. Multiple first round picks, top prospects, whatever. But we've talked time and time again over the last seven years, more in terms of the Red Wings, but it applies to everything. You can't half-ass this. No. There is no such thing as this retool unless you luck into a generational player. It, it doesn't work that way. So if you want to reshape your team, looking at Vancouver, I agree. That's not a bad idea. Bring in one, two, maybe three new players to just kind of you know send a message to the room. Hey, we don't like what's going on. We've brought in these three guys, got rid of these however many guys. This is our team now. Or burn it to the ground. Like you're either in it to win it now or you got to start rebuilding. If you get stuck in the mushy middle, you're screwed for a long time. And honestly, to me, just to wrap this up, I, I feel like the Vancouver Canucks are trying to drive backwards on the highway. I think they missed their exit. I think they, but they're not committed to going forward. They had an opportunity a while ago to, to say, yeah, let's tear this down while we can. And I think they could have done that while keeping Pedersen and Hughes. Um, you know, they're attached to Ekman, Lark, Ekman Larson now. They have Besser for that much for that long. It's a team that that is has been fence-sitting for so long and just making weird, jolty moves in either direction, and it's it's a big, unpredictable mess because everything that they're, they're doing just seems nonsensical. They could come out ahead. You, you outlined why, Brad. They have the pieces to come out ahead, so a lot remains to be seen. But ugh. anyways, uh, the NHL, they are very much noticing that you know, teams like Edmonton and Calgary playing each other only three times this year uh, is not great because that is one of the best rivalries in hockey. And there are, there are instances like that across the league. So they're looking to adjust the schedule. And apparently one thing that's been talked about internally among some owners and or board of governors is expanding the schedule to 84 games from 82. Nope. So you essentially play the seven other teams in your division four times for 28 games. The three, uh, three other divisions, or sorry, the other divisions, other division in your conference, you play each of those teams three times. So that's eight teams, 24 games, and then two games against each team from the opposite conference for 32, and that makes 84. That in the NHL's mind, or at least in some of their minds, would allow for more, uh, you know, geographical or or intra division rivalries. You make more money off those games. It's better on travel. It's better entertainment. You expand the schedule, and then they reduce the amount of preseason games to offset. I think they should reduce the amount of preseason games no matter what they do, but that's just me. Thoughts, though, on increasing by two games? No, thank you. If they're cutting preseason games? Sure. I cannot overstate how little I care about this change one way or the other. Is two games over a five, six-month stretch really going to make that much of a difference? No, it's not. 
I agree. I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. And it's, it's just, not worth getting up in arms over. Typical NHL overreacting to a problem that nobody really noticed. Uh, I think it's a problem. I do think it's it like, imagine, I, I'm going to keep I, using them as an example, but imagine you're uh, an Oilers or a Flames fan and you only get to play the opposite team three times. Like, that sucks. I guess, yeah, that's fair because the Red Wings don't really have a true rival right now, so there's not one team I'm focusing well, on how many times they the, play it. It's because we haven't made the playoffs where you play the same team every single season. That's right. Yeah, but again, the, the difference here is so minimal to me that it's whatever. If they want to, sure. Great. That's rational, Brad, and I appreciate that, but I'm going to ignore that, make a big deal of it, and use it to inject my own idea and I want everyone to tell me how much you love or hate this because it's going to be one of the either, one or the other. Four divisions of conference, four teams in each division. You play your own division six times, so that's 18 games. The other divisions in your own conference four times, that's another 16 games. In the opposite conference, you play once, and that's 82. You keep 82, you make the most of the rivalries. There's no more eight-team divisions, which I've not really been a fan of. So you just make the playoffs like one to eight in your uh, division and or, that, or conference? I'm yeah. down for whatever plan gets us back to that. And that that's the whole point of it. Seed the division winners one through four. The best of the rest in the conference fill in five through eight. One through eight, two through seven, reseed every round. I know that will never happen. And I know I'm I'm not letting go of the past by suggesting that, but that's all I care about. I just want one through eight back. I think we all agree on one to eight is the best, right? I, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. It's what we grew up with, and I know it's not everyone has that opinion. You don't like, need to be a you don't need to work for NASA to figure it out, though. That's what's the nice the nice thing. Less thinking for me is great. The devil's advocate argument is, yeah, we might not like the bracket system because it feels contrived, but playing the same team a bunch of times is actually good for rivalries it's good for business it's good for uh, uh creating storylines that kind of thing i know we miss when it would like randomly be detroit versus dallas yeah but you know what's great is when the powerhouses meet each other deeper in the playoffs and it's like all right here are yeah. these two huge teams with all these storylines you know and expectations and they meet deep when the stakes are the highest not in the first round now i'm must be advocating for Toronto here or something subconsciously <laughs> because they would love to get away from playing Tampa and Boston in the first round. Yeah, the 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 Red Wings angle on me here really doesn't like this because I'm just kind of trying to project who Detroit's four-team division is, and I don't like the answers I'm coming up with in my head. See, I know it's a bad idea. Um, and I, I We've I, put more thought into it than the NHL probably has about any of their <laughs> scheduling and division thoughts. The biggest difference... The biggest difference between my harebrained idea, which is purely just get back, it's all a vehicle to get back to one through eight uh, versus what the NHL has put forward is mine is focused on optimizing competition and the NHL's is optimized on entertainment and revenue. Yeah, nothing's worse in the NHL than a 4-0 sweep in the playoffs because that's millions of dollars lost. And yeah, I mean, the first, I, I my personal belief is that the first round is so intense and so fun that it can carry itself without manufacturing matchups. But the reality is in business, when you have an opportunity to maximize dollars, you take it. And that's what they're going to do. Uh, this, we can't, I mean, we can and we will, but we often harp on this league not knowing how to advertise itself and it lags behind the other major sports leagues in terms of generating interest and in, in content and revenue and all that. We want them to do that. This is them trying to do it. At the end of the day, Brad, you're right. Two extra games isn't 
that great. The NHLPA has to approve it because it's in the CBA that the the 82 games is the max. And they will, but they'll get something back. And not just reducing preseason games, like they are going to ask for a chunk of revenue. They are going to ask for some kind of concession. Think like guaranteed Olympics or, or equivalent things in the past. Olympics, but totally for realsies this time. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what other worldly event happens that time. Anyhow, uh, we're going to jump into overtime. Overtime in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, the way the show operates and the way it runs and grows, it does everything it does is because of our patrons. You get access to things like the uh, Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. Uh, you get access to uh, giveaways. You're automatically entered in every giveaway. We're actually giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The majority of them are going right to patrons. Uh, and uh, a bunch of other big benefits. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. JM Rhapsody says, as a goalie, I'm concerned with the goaltending. I like Ned. He uh, has one of my all-time favorite masks because he embraces the Lord of the Rings, but I feel like he's not getting the same support in front of him that Huso is getting. Whether it be a goal support or sharp defense, what are your thoughts? Um, I've said on previous podcasts, I think one begets the other. I think... It's not a new storyline in hockey that uh, a team plays more confidently in front of one goalie than another. I do agree that on balance that Ned has not really had a ton of great opportunities in front of him, but he's had a few, um, and I think he's squandered them. I think he's a goalie who has talent, and he's not shown it this year. Sometimes we overthink it with goalies. There's a puck coming at you. Stop it. Um. On a brighter note, who is your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite goalie mask? Oh, mine is this Ned's this season by far. I love it. That's a lot of fun. Are we talking all time or all time? Oh man, there's some candidates here. The old Cujo masks are a classic. Nice yeah, Arthur's Herbe helmet. Oh god, <laughs> right, that's what you'd wear if you were a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd wear the pads too. Yeah. You lose a puck in my pads every game. Um. I'm trying to run through the history of masks. Um, the one that always jumps out to me, Eddie the Eagle. Yep. But if we're going current masks, I got to go outside of Detroit. Have you seen um, Jacob Markstrom's that they that he wears with their blacks? Oh, it is good. That is that is a true work of art. Uh, okay. Shatna says assistant coaches are in charge of the power play and penalty kill. After a horrendous outing for both, what is your opinions? What are your opinions on both? I think Alex Tanke has put a lot of time, thought, and effort into how to get the Red Wings to cycle the puck around the power play better, and they've done a a very, very good job of that, and he's completely forgotten to address getting the puck to that point. I've seen enough positive where, you know, I'm not sitting here and saying toss it all out the window and, and we need brand new everything, but the... Some of it is, is as Evan said earlier in the episode, it's a talent issue. And some of it is like what Brad just mentioned now. Like it's by design and you have the tools you were mentioning earlier, Brad, you have the talent to do what needs to be done. And it's a little mind numbing to see it happen. Well, sometimes, and you get a little good run going and then all of a sudden the floor falls out from beneath them and they, they lose the fundamentals. I know not every team has perfect special teams for 82 straight games. That's not how it works. Teams ebb and flow, but, um, I think especially after that last loss, I think even Derek Malone said like special teams caved are what killed us and, and we need to be better. And the coaches know that very firmly. Um, 
not been terribly impressed. But at the same time, the, the penalty kill is also what saved Detroit a lot earlier this season. So it's two sides to the coin. Uh, Lars Thorzell says, is this a speed bump or an elevator shaft? Oh, God. <laughs> That's some kind of uh, imagery. Um, maybe not an elevator shaft, but I think it's a little steeper than a speed bump. The escalator stopped moving while you were halfway down. Yeah. And you have a lot of inertia moving forward, let's say. Uh, also, what are your thoughts on this penalty shot attempt from Timu uh, Hartikainen? He missed by a slim margin, but damn. Did you guys see that where he swung it around with one hand on the stick? The level of just confidence, bravado, whatever you want to call it, that you have to have to attempt a one-handed Zorro. My God, the level of respect I have for that is off the charts. Yeah, that is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is crazy. In game, like in a shootout that matters, like that is, I don't know how his coach felt about that. It all, it worked. He just missed the net. Like he had it. It was right there. Oh, he confused the goalie. That's for sure. You're going to see more and more of this in, in pro hockey. And we've already seen a little bit of it in the NHL. And look, as long as the shootout's going to be here, I'm a proponent of Man, it. And can't wait for the, uh, the video reviews to see if that was considered like a backwards motion of the puck or <laughs> oh god can't wait i'll tell you shootouts a safe space to use it if someone tries to use it in a game they are grading someone is superman punching them two fists to the face completely horizontal like that is going to be an instant brawl they're going to recruit fans from the stands to help in that fight yeah that's going to be nuts all right, time for some Reddit questions. Uh, Yarvik7 says, now that every team has film on our tactics, are we screwed the rest of the year? Is there a chance our coaching staff and players might uh, employ something different, or will we just keep doing the same shit like we did last year and decide that uh, going into the shitter for the rest of the season is all we can do? Going on seven years, I'm starting to get impatient. No, there's so much fine-tuning that happens in the background that you just never see. Like Coaches are always, always, always adjusting. And it's not necessarily just that teams have tape on the Red Wings, now the Red Wings are caved. Like, the Red Wings... That is a a chess game that happens 24-7, 365. At a micro level, you can apply that. Like, Sider and Raymond are seeing the effects of that on their game and how opponents play them, for sure. Um, If the Red Wings continue to do what they do, it is going to be based on two things. Injuries and... Well, basically injuries. Like, injuries injuries are going to dictate the kind of talent that they have. So if they don't have the talent to do much different, then they are going to be stuck in a hole. But they can get healthier and like brad said earlier playing well like those guys coming in and, and, and getting up to speed then they can start to do different things and adjust it's just hard to adjust when you don't have the tools to do so an adaptable player is an effective player and to be an effective player you have to be a good player uh elvish blood 24 and we mentioned this earlier says do you think zarnik will clear waivers interesting uh to see us keep soderblum instead thoughts uh i think you have to keep soderblum instead he's had a He's been playing better, has a higher ceiling. The Red Wings need offense, and though I like what Zarnik has done, he's like you mentioned, Brad, he's done everything that's been asked of him. Uh, that's the move you make. I imagine he'll clear waivers. I wouldn't be surprised if a team decides they need a guy like Zarnik in their AHL system, uh, but that's the only way I see them. Like Most teams are, are pretty firm, pretty high on contracts already, so uh, the luck of the draw, but he should clear. Uh, Skibble, I think it's pronounced, says, Hey guys, I just wanted to say I love the podcast and all you do. 
My question is about our defense. We seem to let a lot of goals in at times, and I'm wondering what you guys think the biggest factor is. Is it a lack of talent, ineffective defensive combinations minus Mata Heronic pair, or is it just a big adjustment period from the new system and new defensemen? Personally, I think each of these plays into goals being let in, but what do you guys think is the biggest factor? Lack of talent, and in certain spots, that lack of talent affecting D pairs. Yeah, we've not seen a maximum Mo Sider this year. The Red Wings at any point where their defense looked good last year, which wasn't much, if at all, was based on Mo Sider changing the game. Uh, and that has been part of him and Sherratt haven't really worked as a pair. And it's been part, at least points, Mo Sider hasn't played well himself. Like, I don't want to put it all on Sherratt. So, yeah, Mata Hronik are have been doing really well. Sider, Sherratt get a lot of the tough matchups too, though. So that that's going to bring them down even further. You need to have a deeper defensive pool than that, though. Like, Ole Mata, as much as we love him, cannot be such a fundamental piece to your defense that when he's out, everything falls apart. Like, it's great that he was doing that, and you love him for it, and I hope the Red Wings sign him and find another one of him, but he just can't be the reason the Red Wings are remotely successful. Uh, last question here from Orion Williams. Orion William High says, at this point, is there a legitimate chance that Eisman sees the deficiencies in this team and decides to look to the future for a longer rebuild, possibly moving on from Larkin, Burt, Verona, Hironic, etc., and really focusing on Sider Raymond and the Casper generation. I hear the argument that you don't want to build a losing culture, but is what is this what a winning culture looks like? Would two seasons of losing really be so much worse for Raymond and Sider than one? Didn't Eisman play on some horrible teams early in his career? There's a lot more good detail there that I encourage you to read, but let's leave it at that. Love the show, love the wings. What are your thoughts? There's no 100% answer here. You can't have a team of all 23-year-olds. You can't have a team of all 30-year-olds. I think the focus is probably the best way I'll phrase this. The focus should be on the Raymond Sider core generation. Those are the guys who are going to be in their primes when the Red Wings should be doing things. I think there's a chance. Like, There's absolutely an opportunity that, uh, let's say things go really terribly from here on out. And Eisenman looks at this roster and says, yeah, there's a big uphill climb here and I just don't think it's going to work out. I'm going to backtrack on everything that I did this offseason and just sell, sell, sell because I'm getting a really great offer. So there's an opportunity. I just find it hard to believe that the same guy that went out and got all those players is now going to move firmly in the other direction. I think that's a little less likely. It would have to be some kind of monumental shift. Like someone makes an offer you can't refuse for Bertuzzi or Hronik or whatever, or at least maybe a couple key guys. And if it's a couple, then you have to in for a penny and for a pound, right? But also remember Larkin controls his trade future at this point. That kicked in at the start of the season or, or July 1st. So there, the ball is not in their court on Larkin. Uh, and yeah, Eisenman has gone out and prioritized just being more competitive. Like you said, Brad, Eisenman sees this as an iterative process, slowly building towards winning. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's likely. Um, you need to draft exceptionally well. You need to win your trades, which by and large, I think the Red Wings have done so far. And unfortunately, you need to get a little bit lucky. Yeah. You, like, I know we say this all the time, but the, if the Red Wings can get a home run in the second, third, fourth, and whatever rounds outside the first round, that's going to be absolutely massive. If they can do some of that, I think that will help 
you know, speed things up a little bit in terms of what the fans are looking for. Um, Simply draft Jason Robertson. Yeah. Yeah, do something like that. That would be great. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Um, folks, we are actually recording a special bonus episode. We're recording it Tuesday night with our friends from uh, Gear Geeks, uh, Gear Geek Hockey, which they have that database of all NHL pro gear. Uh, much of the same brain as Brad. So we're going to record a special edition of Gear Nerd. It's going to be available for all. Uh, it'll be released to you soon. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, patrons, get your questions in on Patreon. And we'll also, if we have time, take questions from Twitter. Check our uh, Twitter uh, post as well to kind of get in that mailbag. We'd like to thank all of our listeners of the Winged Wheel podcast. New and old uh, means a lot that you guys tune in. And if you want to support in ways that aren't Patreon, uh, leave a rating for the show wherever you get it. Subscribe wherever you listen if you're not already subscribed and, and leaving a rating on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on, on Google Podcasts, wherever. Makes a big difference for us. So um, that's a great way to support the show. And uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA tickets. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. I'd like to thank all of our patrons, our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver, the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana, Slamma Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Connor's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Bertina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evan Lobster, <laughs> Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Enceladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, not the best Ryan, but still not the worst Ryan, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan. Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, uh, Brad Simmons, Carl Thames, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiznuts, Hronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, overload the slot 60% of the time. It works every time. Ricky Bong rips and Aaron Hudson. Thank you so much, folks. Talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.